that good one? And all I am is yours. Uh, Father, your children stand before you today uh, completely in awe, overwhelmed. Uh, I don't think we can really understand just how great the sacrifice And what it cost you, what, what on earth you were thinking this day as you turned your face towards your death and what it would mean uh, to you, but ultimately that your love is so much bigger than anything we could ever even begin to comprehend in our limited human minds, that it was okay for you to move into Jerusalem and to face uh, the cross for us. And so, Father, uh, we are so humble in front of you today, knowing that nothing that we ever have done is, is deserved or could earn that type of love and that type of sacrifice. But your children uh, are so thankful, God, that you paid the price that we could not pay. God, thank you for loving us um, in spite of our failure, in spite of our sin, in spite of our weakness, loving us enough to reconcile um, our souls to you forever. Father, help us to always model that same unbelievable love, unbelievable generosity uh, to the world around us, to our friends and our family members and our community who need that love the most, who need to know what arms stretched out looks like for them. Father, thank you for this time. Give us open hearts, open ears, and humble spirits uh, to really take in the word that you've given to Pastor Joe today in the name of your son. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you here today. I hope you enjoyed the breakfast. Again, a big hand for all those guys and gals that put that together. Uh, next week, we're going to have food again. Uh, we're going to have some egg casserole, strata, something, I don't know, with cheese in it. How can it go wrong, right? I mean, there's bacon and cheese. I mean, that's for Easter, so we'll have that next week. So I'm excited about it. It's good to have you all here today. We're continuing. My name is Joe Davis. We're continuing with our series on 2 Corinthians. And the, the name of this week is called Serving Isn't Free. Without a big uh, explanation of what that means, I'm just going to go right into reading the passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 through 7 is our passage today. <clears throat> Make room in your hearts for us. This is Paul talking to the Corinthians. Make room in your heart for us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have taken advantage of no one. I do not say this to condemn you or for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I am acting with great boldness toward you. In other words, the word boldness really means vulnerability and openness, not arrogance. It means I'm acting with great abandon, with recklessness, really, is what he's saying. I have great pride in you. I am filled with comfort in all our affliction. I am overflowing with joy. That's a powerful phrase right there. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. For even when we came into Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. That was one of his friends. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you. As he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoiced Still more. <clears throat> so I want to talk about the history of this passage. Uh, make room in your hearts. So Paul asks them to make room 
in their hearts, indicating that he is about to get really vulnerable again with them. Again, with this vulnerability stuff, Paul, come on, give me a break. Can't we be a little bit calloused? I mean, it's a little dangerous to be vulnerable all the time, right? So emotional, geez. Well, he's saying, listen, make room in your hearts because I'm about to get really real with you. Perhaps he wanted to tear down all the rest of the barriers that might still exist. Because remember, the purpose of 2 Corinthians was, was to defend his authority as an apostle and defend the authority of the gospel. Because people were attacking both. Then he goes through and he characterizes how his heart has made room for them. And so he begins to recall his record of service. He says, we have wronged no one. He says, we have operated with integrity. We have never manipulated any of you. He says, look, I've never lied to you. I've never slandered you. I've never manipulated money out of you. And I have never tried to get you manipulated into doing something that I wanted you to do. I have operated with the utmost integrity. I've wronged no one. But then he also restates his commitment that he had to them. He says, I'm going to speak to you with great boldness, meaning transparency and vulnerability. And he also says, I'm going to speak to you with great pride, affirming the fact that they are who they are becoming and, they are, and he is humbled in the role he has had in it. He's excited about the fact that this church that started from scratch in a place that didn't care anything about God has grown into this church that went through difficulties and struggles. And he was very pointed with them in 1 Corinthians in that second letter that he wrote that was kind of harsh. And he corrects them quite a bit. And he, and he goes through that and he says, I am so proud of where you have come from that point to here. So much so that it gives me great joy. In the midst of paying this price of serving for you, the suffering, the affliction I've endured, I have incredible joy and I don't regret one moment. I have no resentment to you for what has gone on in our past because I see what God has done in your life. And even in the midst, he says, I was in Macedonia. In other words, the point, there was a point where he was in Corinth early on, right? And he was there, and the whole city was mad at him, and they wanted to kill him, so he had to flee and get out of there. Matter of fact, he wrote earlier the fact that, you know, I would have come back, but had I come back, it would just cause more problems for you. So he says, even as I fled into Macedonia, away from Corinth, the trouble followed me. And I was suffering fear within and trouble without, but it doesn't matter, because I hear what's going on, and it excites me. He recounts those costs, fleeting for his life, Silas and Timothy going with him. The Jews were trying to kill him. The pagans were trying to kill him. They followed him all the way, persecuting him every step of the way. It was persistent. It was pervasive. It was nonstop. Like a hyperpartisan Facebook feed. So what it was like. No rest, affliction at every turn, constant fighting, and constant fear. But then he reveals his motivation. He declares that he went, what he went through, all that stuff, being afflicted and chased for hundreds of miles was a small price to pay because the progress and growth of the Corinthians had become his greatest source of joy. 
and their reported affection for him, even in the midst of being the guy who was calling them out on all their stuff, their stated affection for him, and their mourning over the fact that he was going through all this affliction, their stated affection had become a great source of joy and encouragement for him as well. So that's the history of this passage. I want to talk about the theological part of this passage, the comfort from God. As you guys know, we look at three applications every week. The history, what about man, what did he do? The theology is what about God and what did he do and why did he do it? What kind of comfort does Paul say came from serving the Corinthians? It certainly wasn't financial. It was not emotional. It was not social. It was not physical. In fact, serving them created the opposite of effect in all those areas. It hurt him financially. It hurt him emotionally. It hurt him socially. It hurt him physically. So in reality, serving them did not bring joy in any area of the areas that we would normally think, oh, this is where my source of joy would come from. It's pretty amazing if you think about it. But he says he was comforted by a visit. You can imagine as Paul dealt with ongoing persecution and felt alone in his suffering, how his heart must have soared. One of his closest friends, Titus, was sent by the Corinthians to check up on him and to deliver a report. He's running, he's suffering, and the Corinthians say, man, I'm, we're concerned about Paul. We see all these people leaving town to go get him. Titus, go let him know we love him. Can you imagine how in the midst of his affliction, his heart would soar? He was also comforted by a good report. Titus sent by the Corinthians to give a report on how they had responded to 1 Corinthians and the stern letter. Two butt-kicking letters, to be honest with you, where he kind of laid it out for them. He said that earlier. He said he didn't want to, remember I told you, he didn't want to return because it would bring them pain. So he does all this. He invests all this in them, writes these letters, and he can't go back. Man, I, I really hope they're doing well. I have no way of knowing. All, I mean, I did what I could. I hope it's working out. And the Corinthians say, listen, Titus, let him know it is working out. Tell him it's going. We got it. We understand. He's right. We're applying the lessons. Imagine Paul was so vested in this story, yet restricted from going back for his own safety and theirs. He had no way of knowing if they responded well or if they had totally rejected him and the gospel that he loved so much. Then here comes Titus with the report of how they had made amazing progress and how they loved him, which is the next part of what brought comfort for him from God is he's comforted by their expressions of love. First of all, he says, I'm comforted by the fact that you have received Titus so well. You've encouraged Titus and you've given him the strength he needs and, and paid for his trip to come see me. I can't believe how well you've treated my friend and brother. And he's also comforted by the expressed love they have for him through Titus. When Titus told me that you loved me, it just filled my heart with incredible joy. And see what we learn all throughout the New Testament, and this is another part of the theological aspect, there are Key signs that the gift of faith is there for you, for other believers. First one is in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Here's what Jesus says. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. 
you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So you can see how that concept is illustrated in this story, can you not? In fact, Paul has stated uh, in, in this letter, declaring his state of mind as being one of comfort and affliction, in this verse right here, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction. Same book, just in chapter one. He's kind of giving them a prelude to what he's going to say in chapter seven. So that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. I mean, the very first thing he writes is what he's feeling in chapter seven. He expresses it in chapter one, verses three and four, and then chapter seven. I was overwhelmed with joy even in the midst of my suffering. See, Paul's theology of the sovereign work of God to his called children is being confirmed here because he could not be connected to them while they're supposed to be growing. Well, I did what I can do. I sent them two really rough letters. They're either going to love me or hate me. I mean, you can imagine how comforted he must have been in his theology to hear that in his absence, they took his correction and his instruction and applied it and then loved him for it. Church, that's not human. I mean, if somebody wrote you a letter saying, here's all the things you're doing wrong in your life. I'll check back with you in three years. You better have made progress. What's your first thought? <laughs> Yet Paul was so moved by Titus's visit and report, he was overcome with all-encompassing comfort, he says, amid incredible affliction described in detail in chapter 1. We are pressed down and we are starving and we are beaten and all those things he said. And this joy leads to, leads to the immediate writing of this affectionate Second Corinthians letter that's filled with principled affirmation. So that's the theology, what God does for Paul through other people. Now we're looking at the third application, the devotional. What about me? What am I supposed to do? Why and how do I do it? I want to talk about being poured out for others. See, Paul's comfort was rooted in what God was doing in the lives of other Christians as they sought to serve God in his absence. Paul abandoned self-centered living to serve the faith of the believers in Corinth. And he directly declared this concept in other places. He declared it to the Philippians. Here's what Paul described as his service to them. Even if I am being poured out as a drink offering, that's a great picture, isn't it? A drink offering was a cup they would use and without getting all in the details. It's a great image of being poured out. And he says, I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. In other words, I'm putting it all on the table for you. I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. It sounds a lot like I've opened my heart to you. You open your heart to me also, doesn't it? It sounds very similar to that. I rejoice with you. You rejoice with me because I am poured out for you like a drink offering on the service of your faith. He says it again in 2 Timothy chapter 4, 5 and 6. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. There's the idea again of the service is costing something. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry for I am already being poured out as a drink offering. And the time of my departure has come. In other words, I'm about to die. I've given every drop I have for you, Timothy, so you do the same for others. 
Open your heart, Timothy, as I've opened mine for you. Church, can you imagine if Paul had decided that the work in Corinth wasn't worth it? If he had just decided that serving them was going to be too expensive? Look, their lack of loyalty to me, their willingness to commingle with pagans in their temples that we've talked about the last few weeks. Look, this is just a bridge too far. I cannot waste any more time on these losers. But because Paul willingly paid a price for the sacrifice and service of their faith, so much so he uses the picture of a drink offering being poured out. We are benefiting to this day. Here's the problem. Churches are so good at making sure your opportunities to serve and minister are convenient. Comfortable. Very well defined. It's one of the greatest temptations that Americans Christians face, in my opinion, and by extension, our churches and, frankly, our pastors. We are so good at making sure that we have opportunities to serve in a way that really aren't serving. But they are motivated and designed under the mask of serving to grow our institution or our organization that we're a part of. At least, let me be real, at least that's the temptation that I feel as a pastor. Selfishly running each opportunity, I wrote it down so I could get it right, selfishly running each opportunity through a prism of, will it benefit grace life? I mean, I struggle with it. And what happens is our service is actually designed to be seen. Maybe achieve self-righteousness or appease our guilt. But it's not really service because it's free. I'll give you some examples of true service. There's a big part of our church called Grace Life Recovery. That group has taught me more about willingness to serve and how far it should go than any other group I've ever been associated with. To see these people that in the recovery community are willing to go and sacrifice money, emotion, time, energy to go after one of their own who is struggling. I've seen them do it in the middle of the night. I've seen them drive hundreds of miles to do it. I've seen them shell out dollars. I've seen them bail each other out. I've seen them visit visit each other in jail. I've seen them visit each other at home when they're sick. I've seen them care after each other in a way that makes me, quite frankly, feel guilty. I mean, they have given me an incredible example of what true service is because it cost them something. That's a great example in our church of a community, a network in our community, in our church fellowship that is teaching your pastor what it really means to serve one another. And I've told them this, by the way, many times. There's another example of grace life serving that I want to share with you that has an incredible cost. So I was writing this sermon uh, this week, and uh, I was scrolling through Facebook, you know, looking for Bible verses that people had posted. That's what I was doing. (laughs) 
And Nehemiah had put a post on Facebook with a picture of his, uh, his uh, beautiful little daughter, Jade. How many of y'all have met Jade? Precious little girl. And uh, here's what he put up. Here's the picture of her on the swing. She's saying, faster, daddy, push harder, push fire. Here's what, he, here's what Nehemiah wrote. One of our shepherds, by the way. Today, society says, do what makes you happy. If that's not the biggest lie this world has ever told, I don't know what is. Life is about servanthood. Leadership is about laying your life aside for God, for your family, and for your neighbors. Tomorrow might bring some pain, but today I'm thankful. Hashtag Grace Life. So for those of you that don't know the story about Jade, this was a baby born with a heroin addiction in the hospital with an uncertain family future. No idea what's going to happen to this precious little girl. And Meredith and Nehemiah get a call. There's a baby here. It's a heroin baby. Would you like to adopt her? I got to tell you something. That was a costly decision. Years and money. And Nehemiah even says, I don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. But today I'm thankful. Man, that is serving at a cost. And this is the point that I want to drive home for you today. This is very important for you to understand. I want you all to evaluate the way you serve. And I want you to begin to ask yourself, why am I doing this? Does it cost me anything? Does it at least make me a little bit uncomfortable? I can tell you, I would be so humbled, and I'm not saying we're not there. I think we have an incredible church fellowship. I really do. You guys are amazing. But can you imagine if we even increased even more the willingness that we're willing to pay to serve others? Because I have a couple of kind of closing thoughts that I'll leave you with. You know you're serving others when it costs you something. If you can do something and it doesn't really cost you, maybe it costs you a couple hours or whatever. It's good. I'm, don't, don't get me wrong. You should do it. But you know you're serving when it costs you something. And perhaps even when it makes you just a bit nervous. Because let's be honest, that's the example that Paul set for us, is it not? Do you think Paul was nervous when he went into Corinth and started trying to set things straight? And he had to flee for his life. And those trying to kill him fled with him. Guys, I'm going to tell you right now, service isn't free. But Paul tells us when we serve others in a sacrificial way, that's where the great joy comes from. Because that's when you receive comfort, not from the world, but comfort from your God. As we get ready for Easter next week, and we think about what Christ did for us, the cost it cost him to serve us, his reckless love for us that Megan was talking about. Maybe, just maybe, as people who follow Christ, maybe God is calling us as a church with wisdom and discernment to be just a little bit reckless with our service. 
Just a little bit willing to pay a little more than most people normally would for the sacrifice and service of the faith of others. Maybe God is calling us to pour out our lives as a drink offering. Dad, we're nervous about serving. We're a little intimidated by the cost. It's inconvenient, it's messy, it's emotional. But we commit as a church to do it, knowing that you, God, are going to bring us the comfort that we need. 